Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. No! Oh, my God! How could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome, everybody, back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Breber, and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today, we are going to be giving out our NBA All-Star teams. Is this a bit premature? Yes, the All-Star game isn't for another six weeks, almost. But the first fan vote returns are out now. And frankly, I just really want to do this. It seems fun. And if we feel like we need to revise these teams right before the date, you know what? We have the freedom to do that, Logan. It's our show. We run it how we please. So, with that, let's start in the Western Conference, Logan. Why don't you just run me down your starters, and then I'll give you mine. Uh, my starting five, uh, Luka Doncic, John Morant, LeBron James, Zion Williamson, and Nikola Jokic. Whoa! John Morant. Very interesting. Okay. I have Luka as well. I have Steph with him in my backcourt. Then I have Zion, I have Anthony Davis, and Nikola Jokic. So, I don't know that we need to spend a ton of time on the guys we agree on. I think Luka and Jokic are super obvious. Zion, if we want to give a shout-out, we can. But let's start with the disagreement in the backcourt. What made you go with Jaw? He's healthy. I mean, like, I don't want to dress this up as, like, I like Ja <laughs> Morant more than Steph Curry or anything like that. And I don't want to dress it up as... LeBron James is a better player this season than Anthony Davis because I don't agree with any of those statements. Um, I believe LeBron missed last game, too, against Miami. F- fucking L.A. came to fight um, uh, in that game. I was pleasantly surprised with the efforts of uh, Pat Bev, Russell Westbrook, Austin Reeves, and the boys. Um, he's just healthy right now, um, and that's really the only distinction that I have. Uh, Steve Kerr says that uh, Stephen Curry should be back January 13th against the San Antonio mm-hmm. Spurs. Um, I have Steph on my bench right now. I don't have AD on my team. I'm going to need to know that he's healthy uh, before the All-Star game to pencil him in and cement him in there. Um, I obviously think that Anthony Davis is one of the 12 best players um, in the West. I think he's arguably um, top 10 in the league right now when healthy. So Mm -hmm. 
if health and all those things were right, I would have AD and Steph Curry here, but because they are not currently uh, in the rotation, uh, Steph is on my bench because I know he will return in the coming weeks. AD is currently off my team. I'm going to need to know that he is healthy, like I said, before the All-Star game. I understand the Steph point, although he hasn't missed a ton of games, obviously. When you're at this point in the season, a little more than a handful of a gap is a decent chunk. I mean, it's close to 20% of the year. Actually, for him, it's more than that because he's played 26. Jaw's played 33. What surprises me, though, is that you would go with Jaw even over SGA because I just fundamentally think that SGA has had a better season. I think he is a significantly better all-around scorer at this point, every bit as effective as a paint guard, more creative in that area even, but as dominant getting there and finishing there, a better finisher actually in my opinion when you take the entire paint into account, than Jaw where that's his bread and butter, and they do it in very different ways, but two of the three best guards in the league at that, along with Luka who also does it in a different way, but then has a different level of pull-up jump shooting, I think has been better defensively. And just on the year, I mean, the production speaks for itself. He's putting up 31 points a game on better than 61% true shooting. Jaw has been below average in terms of efficiency from the field. I think, again, has been not so great defensively. So he's on the better team, of course. He has more of a playmaking impact, and I do think that's where he has the advantage. But overall, I just feel like SGA has been the better player this year and that if they were on comparable teams comparable rosters I think SGA could carry a team to higher heights than Jaw has this year I actually think that's the right argument I actually think that's the right argument Carson um wow big win for me I don't know I mean Jaw also has you have to throw into account the bench play and guys that are on the court when the other superstar isn't right the mm-hmm. reason that the Thunder lose a lot of games is because SGA can't be out there 48 minutes a night when Jaw needs a rest Tyus Jones comes into the game and can really run the show uh, off the bench. He's got a lot better defenders. He's got a lot better scores on his roster. Screw you, man. We're not even 10 minutes into the pod, and you're making me call an audible. I think this is the right case. I, I, I think this is the right debate. I don't think Ja is a better player right now, and I did. I kind of just gave him the nod because of the number one seed in the West, but their depth is way better. The stars around Ja are way better. The mm-hmm. defensive identity is so much better, and the Oklahoma City bench is ass, in, which yeah. is mostly the reason why. Uh, I think that's the right case. I actually think I will sub in SGA here. I do think they're pretty darn close as all-around players. Like Again, SGA has the scoring advantage. He's been more efficient out of isolation. He's been more efficient out of pick and roll. Again, he's a more complete scorer, certainly, and he has more production and overall efficiency. But again, Jaw does have the advantage in terms of playmaking. But even though SGA's come back to earth like the tiniest bit, he hasn't really. I mean, I gave you his numbers. Like they're earth shattering. And Jaw, I don't think, has been quite as good as he was last year. It's pretty close, but he was just a bit more efficient last year. I think that we saw him finish a bit better around the rim and he was better as a pull-up jump shooter from deep. So I'm not like outraged that you had that, but I do think that you've come over to the right side. The AD point, to me, I imagine that I will be pretty isolated on this. I mean, Anthony Davis has only played 25 games and although he apparently took a good step in his recovery today or yesterday and is going to be back on court soon just in terms of at least testing out his mobility and whatnot he's going to continue to miss games 
This is just what I felt most comfortable with because I tinkered with LeBron in this spot and I tinkered with DeMontis Sabonis in this spot. And <laughs> when it came down to it, I was like, all right, Sabonis, game for game, if I'm being honest with myself, just has not been on the level of Anthony Davis or LeBron James, even though he's played more, he's had a phenomenal offensive season. I just made a whole YouTube video about the guy and gave him his flowers. There's a different level of physical dominance that you get with LeBron, the ability to impose his will on the game in every phase. With AD, there's a different level of two-way dominance and what we saw him do expanding sort of that short-range shot-making game this year and dominating the painted area, dominating the glass. Sabonis can do that too. But I was just like, AD, when he's been healthy this year, has been a top-seven player in the world. I think somewhat clearly... I think the top six is almost inarguable to me. The order we can debate for days, but I think that the tier one of NBA players has been Giannis, Jokic, KD, Steph, Luka, Embiid. And I think AD has made the best case this year of cracking that tier when he's been healthy. So it's like, yeah, he's played four less games than LeBron, but LeBron's holding a press conference tonight like when the Lakers are playing. And for all we know, he's going to make some announcement about how he he doesn't want to play right now because he said that he doesn't want to play basketball at this level and the Lakers roster sucks. So I just don't think the games played argument when it's a gap of four at this point is enough for me to say, hey, I think LeBron has been better when LeBron has been completely disengaged defensively, has had a brutal shooting season from beyond the arc, has not had his typical maximum playmaking impact, and sure, part of that is, hey, he doesn't have spot-up shooting around him. But nevertheless, Anthony Davis, when he was on the floor this year, had one of the best stretches that we have ever seen. He averaged over a nine-game stretch, 35, 15, and two and a half on... I mean, it was around 70% true shooting, like just unfathomable production. We've literally never seen anybody put up 35, 15, two and a half over a nine game stretch in NBA history. You think of all the great bigs, Wilt certainly did it, but guess what? We didn't have the numbers, so it doesn't count. AD's the only guy ever. I just think this is the best he's ever been. And this is a guy who three years ago we were talking about as a top three player in the world and who was absolutely transcendent in a title run. So... He carried the Lakers defensively. They played as a really good defense when he was on the floor. Offensively, it was mind-blowing efficiency in production. Just to give the numbers, 27.4 points per game on 66% true shooting, dude. I mean, off the top of my head, the only guys to ever do that, Steph, maybe Adrian Dantley has done that, KD this year. Like, it's a select list man and I, I think and I think Embiid, yeah I was about to say Embiid this year might be doing it too god the offensive production we're seeing is ridiculous and while he's doing that he was probably the best defensive player on the planet so I know most people won't have 80 because of health I'm fine with that we all have different criteria we all make different arguments this in a weird way though was just what I felt most okay with because I was like he's the guy who belongs here when I look at this starting five the caliber of players who are here He's the guy who most consistently belonged there when he was on the floor, and I would like to reward that. I think it's a good case, and I think at the end of this, if AD is healthy at the end, uh, when we get to the All-Star break, I think I'm going to make that switch too. Right now, 
Uh, like I said, AD's off my list. Um, Lowry Markinen is in my bench front court spot Let's uh, go, for baby. AD. We're going to see, likely, we're going to see LeBron bump down to that spot. We're going to see Markinen probably bumped off, and then AD in my starting five. No way, as buddy. Well. You're not taking Lowry off this team. I mean, no, 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 not in my house. Who would you rather? Who would you rather have on this team, Lowry Markinen or Paul George? Well. Uh, we can talk about that when we get to our benches, Logan. Is there anything you would like to say about LeBron? Why you have him in your starting five? Yeah, he's the best player available. I wasn't putting DeMontis Sabonis, who's a complete defensive liability, in my starting uh, five. He's mediocre. Yes, he is. I don't know that I would say complete have, liability. Yes, he's he can't not build a, a good defensive. team defense around him. I agree. That's exactly what I'm getting at. And the Sacramento Kings, we are going to make the playoffs this year, baby. Let me knock on wood to not jinx it. Um... Uh, you're never going to go anywhere in the playoffs. The Kings play very fun, very high up-tempo basketball through Sabonis. It's a lot of fun to watch, but when it comes playoff time, we're probably going to see the Kings uh, not do anything with Sabonis at the five, but it's very fun basketball, and it's the best they've Mm -hmm. been uh, in a long time. So it's exciting, but he's subpar defensively. very fair. And as I argued for his mediocrity compared to complete liability and then said you can't build a good team defense around him, I felt a bit foolish. I mean, you could, you just have to put really good personnel around him. And the Kings certainly are not doing that. I think you'd have to run, you'd have to run something comparable to what the Nuggets do. You know what I mean? Uh, Rangy, good wing defenders, feisty guys, and then run like a two, three zone or something like that. I do think he's more versatile than Jokic because I think he's better switching. I mean, Jokic is just drop, 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 stay low. Domas, I think has better feet but these are subtleties of bad defense at this point the biggest thing with domas that cracks me up is he looks scared when he gets switched on the perimeter man Mm -hmm. it's like a uh i don't know how to it's like a big deer Mm -hmm. like he's at least galloping out there and it's like man i really don't want to defend this guy uh we're nitpicking here do you want to go to the uh to the east starters you want to go into the i think let's knock out the whole west first so First of all, just since he was in your starting lineup, I will give LeBron some flowers because the guy is just unfathomably good and is by so far the best 38-year-old we've ever seen, the best 20th year player we've ever seen. And his last month was 31, 7.5, and 7 on 61% true shooting. He just wasn't really at that level through the first six weeks of the season. And again, the defense has been bad, but I mean, he remains remarkable. To watch, And these last couple years, it's really been about the pure scoring with him and a lot of it about physicality because, again, the shot hasn't really been there for him this year, and he just still overpowers people at will. So big shout-out to LeBron, and I really did consider him for my starting forward spot, but I went with his teammate, who, again, I just think has been better. And t- and to caveat this a little bit, uh, statistically, by cleaning the glass, by uh, going on off uh, advanced numbers, this is statistically the worst supporting cast that LeBron has ever had uh, since basically his rookie year. Uh, it sucks, though, man, because it's like, uh, I don't know. I-, I understand why LeBron's frustrated. I understand the uh, frustrations about the supporting cast, but you do have to hold that against him a little bit, right? The effort, I mean... Uh, it's complicated I might say because the guy is literally 38 years old and for the second straight year 
the third straight really has just been dealt a roster that is not capable of winning at the highest level. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not use Delta roster. Uh, okay, partially contributed. Yeah, the Russ thing is obviously the great handicapper here because you can't add anybody other than minimum guys around their quote-unquote big three. But I think it's probably pretty frustrating when you look around and you're like, all right, Lonnie Walker, Austin Reeves, there are a lot of nights where you're my second and third best players because Anthony Davis isn't out there. It's like you're not winning a lot of basketball games like that. LeBron giving effort defensively ultimately is not going to be the swing factor there. So I don't know how much you can hold it against him. I think honestly at this point everything he does just benefits his legacy because this is like extra time at this point. This is nobody should be all-star caliber when you're 38 years old. Nobody should be all-star starter caliber, top 10 in the NBA caliber, all-NBA wind dialed in caliber. And LeBron is all of those things. So it's just like frosting on the cake, man. Icing on the cake is the old saying. But I made it my own. All right. Who do you have on your bench out west? Uh, so uh, I just made the flip, uh, John's jaw for SGA. Um, SGA will likely flip again. Steph's coming back in a week. I expect him to be phenomenal once again once he returns to the floor. Um, then I have Dolmas, Paul George, Lowry Markin, and and I struggled with these two wild card spots. I played with uh, Aaron what? Gordon actually with how the Denver Nuggets have been playing. Man, um, I played with maybe Swiper, Anthony Edwards. Uh, Triple J, but I gave the last two spots to Devin Booker and uh, Damian Lillard, and I think those are the right calls. Yeah. Was the book thing just going to be health-based? Why was he in danger of being left off? Oh, no, book wasn't. I had Book was actually in my backcourt spot. The only reason he got oh. bumped down to wild card was the Ja SGA thing. Okay, because I was going to say, I think book has to be a lock. The If you're, if you're going to make a games played, I think it would have to be for Dame. Yeah, well, the thing is that Book is actively hurt, and so he's going to miss a few more weeks. But when healthy this year, I mean, this is certainly the best that he's well, ever been. Oh, my God. I mean, you saw the Phoenix. I think the best testament for a case for Devin Booker, just as a pure superstar, as a dominant scoring talent, as one of the best flat-out bucket getters on planet Earth, and just players in the NBA, is what the fuck the Knicks did to the Suns on uh, New Year's, man. That was absolutely disgusting uh watching Chris Paul and DeAndre Aiden try to manufacture offense mm-hmm. um I, I'm not a, I'm gonna go to my game log here I think Aiden was the leading scorer for the uh Suns in that game with uh, a whopping 12 points uh the Suns put up 83 points that's in uh 2023 guys yeah leading scorer DeAndre Aiden 12 points um the Suns have lost six of their last seven um they're a horrible basketball team without mm-hmm. Devin Booker like I Chris Paul has really dropped mm-hmm. off. Um, God, man, they were negative 38 in Chris Paul's minutes in that game. They were negative 24 in Aiden's minutes. Like, uh, I know the Knicks have been hot. They played a really good defensive game against them. Um, they dominated them in the paint, too. And I know that they've been they've struggled with their own injury stuff. Uh, the Suns suck without Devin Booker, and I don't think the Suns would even be a play, play-in team without D-Book. Uh He's one of the best scorers on the planet. And, uh, I mean, do you think when it comes all-star time, do you think Book's going to be left off because of this, or is he a lock for you? He's 
a lock for me, I think. It's always so hard to gauge how much games played matters, but they're 18 and 11 when he plays. They're 2 and 8 when he doesn't. They're seven points per 100 better with him on the floor. And it's just obvious, dude. They are completely lacking in shot creation without him. CP's volume has had to take such a hike, and he's just not really making the pull up jump shots this year. Because it's interesting. You think about, well, how could CP really decline from where he was last year, where he doesn't really have all that much quickness to attack switches? Like, he's not been a good NBA athlete for a couple years. It's really been about just control of the game and then mid-range shot making out of that pick and roll, right? And this year, he's just not executing in the mid-range shot making. That Nuggets game, whatever that was, a week and a half ago, when Book got hurt, I mean, he's just hunting pick and roll after pick and roll, and he's getting the shots against Jokic that a couple years ago in the playoffs, it was like, money, we'll take these every day, and he's just clanging every one of them. So weird Chris Paul year, but that's a sidebar. I think Book has to be here. So my bench out west, SGA Book in my backcourt, Markinen, LeBron, Sabonis, then I have Jaw, and then I have Dame. So I left... PG off and this was sort of a last minute decision but I went with Laurie Markkinen man and if you'll allow me to explain I just think this is a truly phenomenal offensive season that we are seeing from Markkinen 24 and a half points per game on 67 percent true shooting mm-hmm. that again like you're in rare territory in NBA history when you're doing that and there is such a versatility in terms of his scoring he's a 97th percentile isolation score and he has like this big wing skill set and he can obviously shoot over a ton of people and he has the handle to get downhill for himself he's a 97th percentile spot up shooter is just completely lethal in those situations again with the combination of size and shooting and he can do it to as a movement shooter too I mean he can roll he can pop he can attack out of the post in spots and I think that he's been solid defensively and is a guy who can hang in space who has good feet and who gives solid effort so Paul George this year to me has been PG and hey that's a good enough case in any year because he's going to teeter on being a top 15 kind of guy even with all the talent that exists around the league but Hasn't really outproduced Markinen. I mean, he's mm-hmm. scoring less. Of course, he is going to contribute more as a playmaker, but the efficiency is, like, solid for PG. But again, it's all time for Markinen. And then defensively, I just don't think that PG has been, like, nearly all defense level or anything this year. When you think of, like, peak PG defensive value, I just don't think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing, like, a solid defensive season. And just for the record, I said that Markkinen was in rare territory with the 24 points per game on 67% true shooting. I didn't have the list all time in front of me. Here it is now. Steph Curry in 2018, Kevin Durant this season, Nikola Jokic this season, Markkinen. I just think you got to reward that. And especially when it's leading to a team overachieving and he's by so far their best player. Whereas the Clippers have been mad, PG has been mad. The Clippers' offense has been mad. PG by his offensive standards has been mad. By his defensive standards, he's been mad. It's like, sure, he's 
fundamentally the better player. And if you want to argue that, that's fine. But I don't think he's had the better season. Yeah, and he's played eight games less than Markin, and I think that's ma- that matters. You know, they're seventeen and thirteen with PG. The Jazz are nineteen and nineteen with Markin, and yeah, I think the playmaking argument and the better player argument is probably the route you would go with PG. I don't think PG will be on my All Star team uh, by the time AD gets back healthy. Uh, I will likely bump. Uh, I'll move some stuff around, and AD will likely bump PG off of this list, um, or somebody else. No, this has not been a great Paul George, and I think that's. Probably a debate. By Paul George standards, this is pretty mediocre. 24, 6, and 5. I think the other argument would be that with Kawhi out, he's kind of the only thing keeping the Clippers treading water. Uh, water mm-hmm. Excuse me. I mean, Kawhi has been, frankly, a shell of himself. You know, I mean, uh, load management, not getting a whole lot of PT, and he hasn't looked like himself. And if you look at the supporting cast, I know the Jazz offense has been great, and I love watching the Jazz play basketball. I think the Clippers just fundamentally have the better roster around PG2, and I, the Jazz have been comparable with Markinen on the floor. Um, yeah, I think I think at the end of this, I think Markinen is going to secure it. Uh, did you give any merit to any of the guys that we booted off? Uh, Anthony Edwards in this recent stretch has really been playing well uh, without Cat, missing mm-hmm. some time with Gobert, uh, Swiper, Triple J. Um, I think that if Triple J had been healthy at the start of the season, um, with what he is doing defensively, I think could have had a legit case. Um any did you uh, did you entertain any of those? Not guys Triple at all? J. He hasn't played enough. He hasn't good enough offensively. Uh, Anthony Edwards, like I mean, he'd be on my short list of honorable mentions, but I don't think it's been consistent enough this year. And I just couldn't see the argument for him over like a Damian Lillard, who has just fundamentally been better offensively. Same goes for Dame versus PG. He's just been better offensively and there's the game played argument but he's having a super positive impact when he's out there so that just means more to me I will say Fox definitely on my short list but again it comes down to the same point where it's like I do not think De'Aaron Fox is the best player on the Kings offense I think that there's a lot that supports Mm -hmm. that I honestly think in some ways you could argue that he's the third most valuable player to the Kings offense because Kevin Herter is such a unique shooter and does so much in terms of, hey, we just run a handoff, we get Herter a great shot. He can be attacking off movement at any time. It's just really rare to find those guys, and as good as Fox is, I don't want to sell it short, but there's a lot of guards in the NBA right now who can run, pick, and roll, and score. I mean, there's probably, you know, like... 13, 14 guys who do that better than De'Aaron Fox around the NBA. And I don't know that there's a guy who does Kevin Herter's job better than Kevin Herter right now. So that's not to say that I believe that Kevin Herter's better uh, or that he is more valuable necessarily, but I think it's like Sabonis one, and then those two are kind of fighting for that next spot. So the production for Fox would put him higher, the degree of difficulty. But like in terms of on-off, I mean, it's Sabonis and Herter. Those are the guys who, whoa, when they're on the floor, the Kings have the best offense in the league. And then you look at the gap between Fox and Davion Mitchell, and it's like two points per 100 possessions different mm-hmm. in terms of offense. Whereas when you go from Domas to Rishon Holmes, it's like 15. It's best to worst. So Fox is really good. I've been a Foxy guy, and I like him, and he's playing well, and he's scoring efficiently this year, and he's a solid playmaker, and obviously a great athlete, and he's having an okay shooting season, better than the last couple of years. But, again, it's like 
Dame has been Dame this year, bro. He hasn't been healthy all the time. It hasn't been mm-hmm. like two, three years ago where he's having the literal best seasons of his career. But this is like a typical Damian Lillard, all-NBA kind of year, potentially, if he's healthy. I think so, too. I know he's missed some time. Um, you talk about Dame being Dame. I think the biggest thing is watching Dame in the clutch. Whenever the Blazers have needed a big shot, Dame has been there to put it down and get them within reach or put them ahead. I think the other biggest thing, I mentioned this on our MVP pod, uh, the one that we did, uh, I believe, last week. Um, out of all the superstars that are going to be considered to be all-stars, Nikola Jokic propelled the Nuggets offense to be better than any other superstars offense when he was on the floor. Mm-hmm. The number two guy in that is Damian Lillard. The argument against Dame obviously is he's not as defensively impactful, right? The Blazers, uh, the Blazers backcourt is going to get beat yeah. up every night because you have Ant Simons and Damian Lillard. That being said, and I, huge shout out to Ant Simons, huge shout out to Yusuf Nurkic, to Jeremy Grant. Those guys are playing their asses off also uh, to make the Portland Trailblazers a great offense. Um, I think Jeremy Grant yeah. deserves a whole lot of credit for what he's doing, just attacking closeouts, making shots off the catch, doing his job. And again, it's at a, it's a really good contract price too, but I think the reason that Dame has to be here is, again, out of all the superstars in the league, the Portland Trailblazers have the second-best offense right behind Jokic's Nuggets when Dame is on the floor, and that is that speaks volumes with all mm-hmm. the offensive killers we have in today's game, man. KD, Tatum. At Giannis, Embiid, SGA, all these guys, Lillard is still number two in total offense uh, for his team. And that, for me, again, I think Dame needs to – he's only played 25 games this year. I think he needs to play some more before the All-Star break. To me, that cements him I agree. Uh, on my list. Anything else you want to touch on in the West, or shall we move on? All right. I say let's, Who do you uh, have starting out East? Actually, one more thing real quick in the West. Just when you were showing out, throwing out the short list of guys – I love Aaron Gordon this year. I mean, I think he's been the perfect complement to Jokic. It doesn't feel like he has an all-star skill set, though. I mean, so much of it is, hey, let me cut well. Let me finish well. Let me do a good job as a catch and shooter. I will say on my short list, above Triple J, above Aaron Gordon, a guy who I would have is fellow Portland Trailblazer Jeremy Grant. I think he's had an unbelievable season. I mean, Mm -hmm. 22 plus a night, 45% from deep, just an unreal pure shooting season 63 percent true shooting big wing can attack out of the post can get himself a bucket and really can slide in as that third guy and explode for 30 on any given night I think he's been really good and I think the Blazers although their record isn't great at this point they're just a game above 500 and their defense has slipped a bit after a pretty good start to the year I still think they're a team that could certainly be competitive in a playoff series like in this wide open west they have a really talented top three and i think their role guys are pretty solid so there's my last shout out all right your starters out east who do you got uh, i've got donovan mitchell jalen brown jason tatum kevin durant okay. and Giannis you very nearly agree ball. same backcourt mitchell and brown i have Giannis, katie and Embiid in my front court so first i say Let's talk about this backcourt. Donovan Mitchell is a no-brainer, but I still feel like he's a guy who we haven't talked about a ton this year, despite him having just an unbelievable season, including like one of the best offensive games ever last week, 71-11, and 11, 96 points of offense created, the most efficient 70-piece ever. Genuine mm-hmm. masterpiece. What is it that makes Donnie a lock here in this starting backcourt? 
well, you look at the other guard competition, I think as a flat-out scorer, Mitchell is head and shoulders above the types of uh, Garland, Halliburton, uh, Drew Holiday, mm. who I have in my last spot. I'll spoil that. Uh, and I think Kyrie can make that debate. But, I mean, Kyrie has never been it, – it's tough because it's like you don't want to give all the love to Donovan because the Cavs are a machine. You know, uh, Darius Garland is necessary to make this team great. Jared Allen and Evan Mobley are necessary to make this team great. Um, and I want to say, too, man, I think I really undervalued this move. Look, I thought it would make Cleveland competitive. But after last year, I nearly soured on Donovan Mitchell because I didn't really know what mm-hmm. version of Donovan Mitchell we were going to get. You know, I mean, he's had some of the greatest playoff runs of all time, uh, genuinely scoring the basketball. And then we see him kind of come back to earth in this last one. And you really question what Donovan Mitchell, you know, what is Donovan Mitchell? Is he a top-tier scorer? Is he uh, a guy that leads to great offense? And I do want to say I think there's credit for uh, – I think there's a lot of merit to what Donovan talked about, being engaged for a few reasons. One, the situation in Utah and the fans, um, I think that was a very valid criticism. You know, there's a there's value in being comfortable where you're playing and feeling love from the fans, and I think Donovan feels that and is comfortable. And he knows that he's got a lot of talent around him where guys are going to be engaged defensively. That's why Donovan is so much better, and he doesn't have to play the point guard role too, right? He's got such a better – co-star with him handling the ball you know it's not Mike Conley Mm. anymore he's got Darius freaking Garland um so the weight's lifted off him a little bit and he can just go out there and serve buckets night after night 29 4 and 5 on 49 41 87 splits nearly 63 percent true shooting Donovan has been phenomenal this year 69 percent in the restricted area 44 percent for mid-range 45 percent on pull-up J's and pull-up threes 52% 52% on step backs, 51% on step back threes, and he's shooting over 50% on floaters. I think there's an argument that Donovan Mitchell is the best scoring guard in basketball right now outside of a Luka, maybe. SGA, and maybe a Steph Curry. Do you have I mean, SGA I mean, above Steph as a scorer? Okay. No. All right. I'm just, I'm just saying those are the three guys that he's competing Steph with. You know what I mean? All right. Oh, just because he's not healthy. I don't know, man. Um, <laughs> Mitchell's in it. And look, here's another thing about the Mitchell case, right? Because I do want to pencil him in is that starter. Uh, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen deserve a lot mm-hmm. of credit for the space they are able to create uh, in the pick and roll. I mean, they are. They're the ideal. I can't think of a better two big men I'd like to play basketball with to run offense through. I mean, t- just guys who can screen and be effective and rolling to the rim. Mobley can space the floor. And I don't know. I can't think of a better two, uh, a better two skyscrapers to play alongside if you're a guard and uh, to create space in the lane. They're a huge part of why Donovan and Darius Garland have been great this year. Not to take anything away from them. Um, the Cavs are a great unit. But, again, out of the other guards out east, um, Jalen Brown is the only one that I think really makes a case to be over Donovan Mitchell as that first guard. Um, right now, uh, to me, Donovan Mitchell is yeah, head and I shoulders wouldn't above say that every other guard. Jalen has a case to be above him. I just think I don't think Would it's enough to make up for maybe. the offensive gap at this point. I just think Donovan Mitchell, year after year after year, has made a case to be the best pick and roll scoring guard in basketball. I mean. He has been the most efficient volume 
score out of pick and roll for I don't know how many years in a row, but a few. This year he's 96th percentile, 1.15 points per possession. Last year he was 87th percentile. The year before that he was 73rd. That's down a little bit, but like this is on really high volume every single year. And the pull-up jump shooting, the athleticism, the ability to get to the rim, he's just got it all. And yeah, he's on a really good team right now. And I agree the supporting cast is great, but Donnie's just otherworldly. Man, I mean, the dude is dropping 29 a night on 41% from deep, 63% true shooting. Like, yeah, good luck convincing me that guy's not an all-star starter. I also have Jalen. I do think there's some competition for that second guard spot. But I just think when you compare him to the guys who I have off my bench, who I guess I'll reveal, Kyrie, I think that you can look at the missed games. You look at the net success without him where they're seven and three. They're only about two and a half points per 100 better with Kyrie on the floor. He's obviously unbelievably skilled as a shot maker. And I do think really helps this Nets offense. But I also think we kind of saw them start to find their identity without him. And we've seen them pick up a couple wins without him as of late. And I just think Jalen is a more complete two-way guy, has been out there more consistently and really isn't lagging like a whole league behind offensively. I think that clearly Kyrie is a better offensive player. I think he has more variety as a scorer. He's more efficient. The raw output is similar. The playmaking, it's like, yeah, Kyrie's better, but neither of them are like good positionally, I wouldn't say. And the efficiency from Jalen has been pretty pretty good this year, up around 60% true shooting. He can do it out of isolation. He can do it out of pick and roll. So... I just think they're both second bucket getters for their teams. They both do it with similar volume, similar efficiency, not a ton of playmaking value. And then one guy's great defensively. One guy isn't. One guy was suspended for seven games mm-hmm. or whatever. And that's when his team started to find their rhythm. It's just like, I don't know that I can make Kyrie an all-star starter right now, even though I do probably think he's a better player than Jalen if I were trying to pick for a playoff series. But even that is tight at this point. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I, I think this is JB's yeah, spot for me. Close. I just mean in a playoff series. I don't know who I'd go with. It, it, it is very close. And I mean, the, the only thing I really want to add on JB is that I know he's shooting 34% from uh, behind the arc this season. When JB gets hot, I mean, he's had games where he can go mm-hmm. off for five threes, for six threes, for eight threes. When JB's stroke is on, He's kind of unstoppable. I mean, he's such an explosive athlete. Like, you just have to respect him um, when his shot is falling. And once you do that, you close out a little too hard. JB is an explosive-ass athlete who can get to the rack. He's shooting 71% in the restricted area. He's improved uh, as a pull-up jump shooter this year, too. 54, uh, 54% out of the mid-range, 52% on pull-ups, 42% on pull-up threes. Uh, JB's really fucking good, and I think right now I probably would take him over Kyrie because of two-way impact. Um, it is tough, and I'm gonna keep it a stack, man. I tried to you son of I a tried bitch. to talk myself. I don't into think it's a big gap over uh, JB too. I just but I do also it. don't think it's a particularly strong argument for Halliburton. All right, let's talk about the last starting spot where we disagree. Embiid versus Tatum. Sorry, the only starting spot where we disagree out east. Actually, why did you go with? Young Jelly there. 
It's a good question, man. I can't, I can't give you good, uh, good explanations mm-hmm. here because last week when we did the MVP ladder, I had Embiid over Tatum, and Embiid's been phenomenal both ends of the floor. Uh, we talk about the scoring output, thirty three and a half a night 64. again on crazy true shooting, uh, and ugh, and I mean elite defense too. He's been an elite defensive anchor for Philly when uh, another. Again, I think you could probably lay this as uh, mm-hmm. another case for Embiid. Harden's missed time. You know, I, Harden has not been great. You've had a lot of guys in this in this supporting cast that have not been great. Um, and then, to me, I gave JT this spot because he's played more games, and the Celtics have won more <laughs> games with yeah. Jason Tatum on the court than Joel Embiid has played. That's the distinction I made, and that was – that was it. I think we're really, you know, we're picking hairs between these guys. We are, it's so close. That was the distinction. Uh, the Celtics have won more games when Tatum has played than Embiid has even played total games. And that's why I gave Tatum the nod. We're, it's super Wait, close. I don't think that's quite true, actually. Um, but yeah, that was my distinction. Because Embiid has played in 28 games and the Celtics have won 27. But it's pretty darn uh, close to being true. I will simply take the other stance here, and I think there's really two ways to go. Maybe some people argue that Tatum has been better on a game-to-game basis. I wouldn't make that argument, though. I mean, it's not like there's a glaring gap, but again, I would say Embiid is in that back part of Tier 1, and Tatum is at the very front of Tier 2 when you're ranking the best NBA players right now. But it's just legitimately historic scoring from Joel Embiid the most points per game we've seen from a center since Bob McAdoo. I think that this is the most points per game we've ever seen at this efficiency in terms of true shooting. I mean, just an unbelievable blend of physicality where, as always, he's dominating getting to the line. He's dominating getting into that painted area and a sensational jump shooting season where he's 46 percent for mid-range on high volume like the dude just gets to his spots he dominates everybody in every matchup and he's playmaking better and it's like you said in terms of defensive impact these guys are both all defense caliber I think that Embiid has an even greater impact just because of the nature of his position the Celtics are so loaded up everywhere Embiid is really the reason that the Sixers have been a damn good defensive team this year. They've been the number two half-court defense in the NBA. That's Joel Embiid, man. And I think they've been the number four defense overall. That's his impact as a deterrent. Mm -hmm. And so he just, he makes the Sixers. And although they're a really talented team, it's like you said, they've had health stuff. Maxie's missed half the season. Harden's missed almost half the season. But when Embiid has been out there, the Sixers have been an elite team, uh, outscoring people by I think like nine points per possession per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. So I'm just a big believer in Embiid's season. I think he's been better game to game, and uh, I understand the game played argument. I just think Tatum, in terms of just looking at how these guys play at their own position, I just think he still has some more flaws. He can still be a little bit more inconsistent offensively. Decision-making can be suspect. And that's not to say Embiid's perfect. He can be relying on foul calls. He's not like a legitimately good playmaker. But I just think he's been more overwhelmingly dominant this year to compensate for any of that. So with that, Logan, let's move to the benches. Who do you have off your bench out east? 
Yeah, so I got Garland, Halliburton, Embiid, uh, Bam Adebayo, DeMar DeRozan, Did you Kyrie not say Irving, Pascal Siakam? And Drew Holiday. Um, wow! Uh, Siakam is not on this team. He's nice as hell, though. They've won 11 games Oh, yeah, because the Bulls have been so great with DeMar DeRozan. I mean, don't get me wrong, dude. I didn't want to put either of those guys on my team. I was trying to figure shout out, out a way Kuz. to... And shout out KP. I don't know, man. Sneak shout Kyle Kuzma on this guys. list or something, man. Uh, yeah, shout out Porzingis. I mean, I didn't I didn't want to put either of them on my list, if I'm being honest. Uh, I'll start with Darius Garland. Uh, this is Carson's guy right here. He has been... Uh, Garland has been Carson's guy since he entered the league, and... I just want to say, I think that the Cavaliers have truly found a way to maximize Darius Garland's abilities. He is a true point guard. Um, he likes setting this offense up, man. Uh, he, he just gets them into, into motion, too, into rhythm. Uh, if, if he's not initiating, right, he can kick it to Mitchell. He can kick it to somebody else. Garland wants to play unselfishly. And then when you do it, watching him in the pick and roll, that's what scares me about the Cavs, man, when it comes playoff time. I don't know how you're going to defend this team in the pick and roll. Again, you've, like you said, Carson, you've got one of the best straight-up pick and roll scorers in all of basketball for the past five seasons in Donovan Mitchell. And then you've got a guy in Garland who every game uh, you'll get a screen with Mobley or Allen or something, and Garland will look like he's putting up a layup and he airballs, but it's a lob that takes an extra two seconds for one of these guys to put down. And it's it's disgusting. I with the towers of Allen Mobley and the complete all-around prowess of Garland, the scoring punch of Mitchell, I don't know how you're going to defend this team in the pick and roll. And I also want to say, too, I don't think Garland's a defensive liability at all, man. He's undersized, he's feisty, and he works on that end, too. 11. Um, I no. think Garland has to be here. I think he's at like 22 and 11 game, this season. Um, disgusting. Right? Didn't he get a, what's he at? Hey, that'd be nuts. Um, yeah, I, I think... Uh, I, it's tough putting two Cavs guards on here, um, but I think it's the right call. I mean, they've been great, and, you know, I don't think the Cavs— yeah, I mean, the Cavs would be good with just Garland. The Cavs would be good with just Mitchell, but the combined powers of them um, make them great. Do you think, though, with how Cleveland's currently constructed, Carson, do you think we should give credit to either Allen or Mobley for how good they are defensively? Because that is a— big part of Cleveland's identity. You know what I mean? Well, we should split the distribution. I don't think think that that either Allen or Mobley have been quite good enough offensively to be all-stars, but I think that they are on the short list. I think that they're honorable mentions. And frankly, I don't know if Garland is an all-star for me. I have one wild card spot that I am leaving open, Logan, and I was hoping you could convince me of somebody. And if not, I will just decide when the time gets there because... I'm conflicted. So I'll read off who I do have as locks. I have Kyrie, I think has to be here, Tyrese Halliburton, Jason Tatum, Pascal Siakam, Bam Adebayo. I do have DeMar DeRozan too. I think that obviously the Bulls are a disaster, but DeRozan is just still such a great pure scorer of the basketball. And... He's 93rd percentile out of isolation, 95th percentile out of pick and roll, and he's putting up more than 26 a game on really good efficiency. And, I mean, you compare him to, like, I don't know, I consider Julius Randle here, dude, just because of, like, the last month that he's had. But DeRozan's a better playmaker 
in that context even. So I do feel like he deserves to be here because of his scoring. I will vouch for Siakam because I think it's legitimately criminal that you don't have him here, and I don't know how you could blame the Raptors really sort of crumbling as a team in a lot of ways and not defending up to expectations and having just brutal offensive skill in the half court on him. And I know why, because you hate him. Van Vliet has had a really down season. Uh, yeah, and, As a team, they've been one of Fred the Van worst not shooting <laughs> units in the league, and they don't have legitimate creators. And by the way, Scotty Barnes, who everybody fell completely in love with last year, who, like, yeah, I think is good. I think he's quite good for his age. I think he had a great rookie season, <laughs> but when you start talking about him versus Cade and Evan Mobley, I just don't know what people are watching, dude. He's janky to his core He's janky, and guess what? That jankiness has been ugly. I think it's been a problem for the Raptors yeah. this year. It was hilarious in that crazy game against the Bucks. There was a couple times where he went right at Brooke Lopez and was able to just get off a little bit of a hook, and he made a couple of them, but it's like that's kind of his offensive game right now, dude, and you've seen kind of some regression this year. He's scoring under 15 a game on 45% from the field. He's a non-shooter. He's a good playmaker, of course. He's incredibly talented defender but my point is right now I don't know that I would even say Scotty Barnes is a good offensive player like especially when he's playing around multiple other non-shooters why'd you look at me like that I don't know people talk about him like he's the messiah and he's Scotty Barnes better ever last been a good offensive player? he was able to put together competent efficiency this year he's 51 percent true shooting, they do dude. so his value is like playmaking and yeah he's a pretty good athlete but he doesn't have good touch can't shoot the ball it doesn't have like the handle or the quickness to get himself a bunch of shots doesn't have like the feel the change in pace out of the pick and roll so yeah anyways it's kind of just that whole deal in Toronto where even Gary Trent who's their sharpshooter and the most accurate shooter on the team this year to like really get rotation minutes or starter level minutes is 35.8% from deep as a team. They're 32% from beyond the arc. That's tough for a guy like Siakam who is playing that small ball five role. And it's a unique kind of small ball in Toronto because they're not actually that small. They're long and positionally kind of big everywhere, but you know, he's not a traditional center. I just don't think any of this can be blamed on him, dude. I think that Siakam is not a true number one offensively, but he's done as good a job as possible covering up for that fact in a pretty shitty offensive situation this year. I mean, 26, 8, and almost 7 on league average efficiency to me is impressive when you just consider the volume and the difficulty that he's taking on. He's mm -hmm. above average efficiency, in like kind of every phase, I know it ends up being average, but I think that's because it's a higher percentage of his volume come in higher degree of difficulty areas. But he's an above average isolation score. He's an above average pick and roll ball handler. This is all by efficiency. Well above average in transition. That's where he's probably at his best. Above average post up. He's just this awesome downhill force where he's a powerful driver, and I don't think a lot of people realize how powerful he is, dude. He absorbs that contact. He goes through people, but then he also has enough of the finesse game. It's not beautiful, but he's got his spin moves into the floaters and the short-range shot making. He's 45% in the paint outside the restricted area this year. He's capable for mid-range, is like 40% from there, which is improvement. And then he's 
a pretty darn good playmaker, dude. Like, he doesn't do a lot of wowza stuff, but he also doesn't miss a lot. And if he had good shooting around him, he could be having even more of a playmaking impact. And he's already up around seven assists a game while, might I add, scoring mm-hmm. 26 a game. And, Logan, I know that you're down on his defense and you always have been, but he's at the very least solid there. So I just don't know how, as I put that all together, you could possibly have him off your team. I can't. I'm offended. I can't. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to do. As you were saying this, Audible. I, I erased DeMar DeRozan and I put Siakam on here. Um, all right. Hand up. My fault. I was wrong. I'm pulling a Gabe Swartz. Yeah. Uh uh, that's on me. I No, I didn't feel confident about having DeMar in here. And they play like a 28-win team without uh, Siakam on the floor. And, yeah, I think I did him a great disservice. Uh, they're a top five offense in basketball with Siakam on the floor. And when he's not on there, they're a bottom 20 offense. I mean, and, yeah, I think I, I, think I took a look at the wins, Mark, and I saw 11 wins with Siakam on the floor. And I think I took a look at – I don't think I I don't think I emphasize the situation around Siakam enough. I think you're right. Um, it's an abysmal. They're the worst half court offense in basketball. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know what you do to uh, I don't know what you do to solve it. You know what I mean? If Fred Van Vliet's going to play like this, I don't. This isn't even a play in team. I I don't know what the move is for uh, Toronto. I made a, a video on them last year how I said they were one star away. You know, if they could swing a trade for, I think I threw an SGA out. Steph Curry. <laughs> yeah, I know. If they got Steph Curry, they'd be right there. <laughs> yeah, man. If they could just go get Donovan Mitchell, they'd be sweet. Um, that is not the case at all. They are, uh, they're certainly much farther away with the regression of uh, Van Vliet with Scotty Barnes, frankly, being exactly what me and you thought he was going to be. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did Siakam a disservice. He's going to make my team, and uh, I don't really know what you can do for Siakam other than get more shooting. You know, at some point it's going to reach, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe this you take this as a down year, you go out in the draft and you see if you can find a guy that can help this offensive situation. Other than that, you'd have to think serious changes are going to come in this offseason, right? I mean, Siakam and Van Vliet are both going to be 29 years old. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, Pascal, I was wrong, and I do hate Siakam. He is, I, I'm very biased against him. That's another reason he wasn't on my team. Uh, I was wrong, Carson. That was a good argument. Thank you. I historically have not loved watching Siakam. I mean, he is a little bit janky, right? He is, all right, let me get to my spot. Let me get my back to the basket a little bit and put up a short-range hooker, floater, or whatever. It's not always super pretty. Let me attack a mismatch with my size, and I'm skilled enough. I can handle well enough to get to the spots where I want to dominate on the floor. But I just think he's taken, like, a a leap this year. The mid-range shooting, the, again, short-range stuff, outside the restricted area, and the playmaking. It's been really, really impressive. Yeah, and this doesn't have anything to do with the All-Star case. It has. Uh, this is just focused on Siakam. If you guys want to see, I mean, the crazy development. I watched a little bit of Siakam when he was back at New Mexico State when I was doing that video last year. <laughs> Go back and watch Siakam in college. The, the, the development and the scouting for Toronto is absolutely phenomenal because... I mean, Siakam wasn't even close to this when he came out. The The improvement that we've seen from Pascal Siakam might be the greatest that I've ever seen from any prospect to now outside of maybe Giannis. You know, I, I can't think of a guy that mm-hmm. came in as raw as Siakam and has developed to being such a, 
a prolific, just all-around player in the league. I can't think of a guy who is as raw as him and is as good as he is. Is there anybody that comes to mind for you? Sekou Dumboya, probably. <laughs> yeah, Bruno Caboclo. <sighs> yeah. I don't know. Giannis is obviously a good call. It's pretty exceptional. It's a pretty exceptional development track, and he's a guy who just keeps getting better. So, major props. All right. We could talk about Halliburton. He's a pretty clear choice, I think, when you just look at the sheer offensive value that he brings to the table with, obviously, his playmaking. I mean, legitimately so impressive there. And leading the league in assists while also scoring over 20 a night quite efficiently, almost 62% true shooting. Again, it's a unique scoring game. It's really all about touch and pure shooting with that janky-ass jump shot of his, <laughs> but boy, does it go in. And then, yeah, you look at the ability to command the floor, to find shooters from everywhere, and he has really talented offensive guys alongside him, honestly. I think guys who complement any great playmaker who can space the floor well when you have athletes like Benedict Matherin and you have a stretch-the-floor interior athlete combo like Miles Turner and you have a shooter like Buddy Heald, it's a good situation for a playmaker to thrive in because those guys aren't also don't demand the ball in their mm -hmm. hands much, but they can attack that way. And Halliburton has thrived. And I just think you could sort of look at his production and efficiency and the Pacers team success alone where they're 21 and 18. And this is a team that people were expecting to win in the twenties this year. And they haven't been, good defensively but they've been good offensively and yeah they're talented they're more talented than I think they ever got credit for but Halliburton's been the best guy in leading the ship and I think deserves an all-star nod kind of no doubt yeah hell yeah I, I don't have a whole lot to add and I mean Halliburton's game is really simple um he's stretching the floor he's over 40 percent in a lot of different categories from behind the arc pull up jump shots straight up jump shots and step back jump shots it's one of the jankiest releases in basketball it's one of the jankiest just it's like a catapult, man. It's ugly, but it goes in. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, we've been saying this for years, Carson, uh, since Tyrese was in Sacramento, that he is one of the best playmakers in the NBA. He has one of the best feels for the game. And I'm not at all surprised that he's thriving like this in Indiana. And I think you're right. I think this is one of the best situations a guy could ask for, especially, especially, I mean, you've got to give a massive shout-out to Buddy Heal. They had great chemistry already in Sacramento, but, I mean, it almost felt like, when Sacramento did this deal, man, they just kind of threw... I know Buddy's contract wasn't great, right? And he did, it wasn't a great shooting year. And we had seen these contracts kind of go awry for guys like Joe Harris, for Duncan Robinson, for Davis Bertans. But Buddy was never in that mold. Carson rated him mm -hmm. as his sixth greatest three-point shooter of all time, I believe. And so yeah, it still frustrates me to this day as a Sacramento Kings fan that... Uh, the Kings kind of just threw Buddy in there as like a topper uh, to the DeMontis Sabonis trade is, yeah, we're going to give you this great floor general in Halliburton, but yeah, you can just have Buddy healed. Um, Halliburton has to be here. Uh, I love watching the Pacers play basketball, and Tyrese Halliburton is one of my just favorite players uh, in the entirety of the NBA. Uh, I think he has to be here. Okay, so you said you have Drew in your last spot. Can you make that case to me? Because... I'll go through the candidates I'm considering. We'll do a little live decision here on Nerd Sesh. I mean, I wasn't 
crazy confident in the Drew one either. I just kind of figured as a like I considered. Well, I have Bam at a bio here too. Do you have Bam? I do have Bam, and I think he's kind of a lock. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think he's been really impactful in helping carry a Heat team to competence when they've struggled with some health stuff and. The offense hasn't always been the prettiest. I think his offensive skill has kind of shown this year where he's been a 71st percentile isolation score. He's almost 58% on floaters. They've been way better with him on the floor, nine points per 100. And you're looking at just career high scoring production, 22 a game. Mm -hmm. And then defensively, we know that he's like all defense caliber. So I kind of thought he has to be here. And it's interesting, dude, as good as the East as a conference is this year, there's not a ton of guys who are like mm-hmm. demanding that they get on that All Star team. Honestly, I think I've just decided who my last one's going to be. I have. Uh oh. Um, I but don't... go ahead. Talk about Drew first. So Drew, I just kind of slotted in because the Bucks uh, have the most wins out east, and I figured I'd uh, give it to the second best star on a winning team. You know, if I'm going to give Darius Garland the nod here, I figured I might as well give it to Drew. I'm not going to lie to you, though. I also played with Brooke Lopez in this spot because I think Brooke Whoa. Lopez. Yes. Wow, you're really big on impactful defensive bigs who are pretty okay offensively. Well, and that's, huh? that's ultimately why I left Brooke off this list. I just want to give him a shout-out. I mean, his defensive impact has been so pronounced this year. I consider Trey Young. Man, with this list looking at me, Man, it really feels like I'm about to go with DeMar DeRozan or Julius Randle. I don't... The best player out of this group. That's why I'm going with Drew Holiday. I'm not going to complicate this thing. I'm not going to confuse myself. Uh, I think the best player out of this bunch remaining is Jimmy Butler, but because Jimmy has not played enough games, I can't give him the nod. Drew Holiday is the next guy I would want in a playoff series, and he has been the guy who's been healthy, not Chris Middleton. So I'm not going to make this complicated. Drew is doing what Drew has always done. He's great defensively. He sets up this offense, and he shows up when this team needs him offensively and goes and gets tough buckets. So I'm not going to complicate this. I think he's the best two-way player available who has played a substantial amount of games. So I'm going to give Drew this last spot. I think it's a fine choice. But Please don't say Trey Young. Please don't say Trey Young. It doesn't necessarily compel me. No, I thought long and hard about Trey Young. Logan, between you and me, I really did. But... Ultimately, I just can't bring myself to do it. Like, I was thinking about the Trey Young case, and all I found myself doing was writing down the negatives about his season because mm-hmm. I do think there's an inherent given level of just, like, offensive brilliance, right? Where even in a inefficient season where he's a couple points below league average true shooting and he's been really abysmal as a pull-up jump shooter by his standards. He's putting up 27 and 10, and the Hawks' offense is way better with him on the floor. I just found myself writing down negative on-off splits this year. They've been better overall with him off the floor than on it. 30% on pull-up threes. Pretty darn bad for a guy with whom pull-up jump shooting is like one of the major weapons and selling points. 40% on pull-up twos. Last year, he was around 50. was really good for mid-range. And then I just thought about just some of the moments this year where I'm kind of like, Trey, how much do you care? And I know that mm-hmm. that's vague, but I'm just thinking about the Kings game. There was a nonchalance to some of the decision that he that he made where he had three 
horrible turnovers pretty early on, like throwing a dumb pass over his head in traffic. He was targeting someone on an entry pass, and he just completely misplaced it. And late into that game, he shot a really pretty bad three early on the shot clock when they're down one with 90 seconds left. And it ends up being, even though they win that game, it's they get stops for the last minute and a half, and then DeJounte comes in and he gets the last couple buckets. And then I think about, all right, so offensively, sure, he's still having a positive team impact, but his efficiency sucks. He's not being great at some of the things he's supposed to be great at. Meanwhile, he like is literally up there for the worst defensive player on the planet, dude. Mm-hmm. And I, I think if you don't watch a lot of Trey Young, maybe you think, oh, well, he's oversized and he's a high-volume offensive guy, so it makes sense that he would just suck defensively. But it's not just that, dude. It's technical stuff. The angles that he takes towards ball handlers don't make sense sometimes. He gets blown up by screens, taken out of the play <laughs> in a way that like, just shouldn't be possible in the NBA. It's like he has no awareness of where the guy is. His positioning is atrocious. His hands are, like, down all the time. It's just a combination of no physical tools, offensive usage, lack of effort, nonchalance, and bad technique, bad approach, recklessness. It's just all terrible. And the Hawks are wildly underachieving as a team, bro. This is a talented team that is sitting at 18-20, and 20, and again, has been worse with Trey Young on the floor than off it. So, no, I will not be rewarding that with an all-star nod. I think Garland makes a good case. I'm not going to go with Garland. I think Randall makes an okay case just because, like, yeah, he's he's had a pretty darn good stretch offensively, but I'm not putting Julius Randall on my all-star team. What? Why'd you look at me like that? You're going to put Tomas Sadoransky here, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I'm putting Sadoransky on my team. No. It's down to two guys who I think are clearly the two best players, and that's why I'm comfortable with it, but they also have not played as much as anybody else. It's coming down to James Harden and Jimmy Butler. Oh, He's disgusted. He's leaving? Are you leaving over James Harden? He took his headphones out. He doesn't even know what I'm saying. Logan, Gilbert Arenas is wildly overrated. What? (laughs) He's taking them off again. Logan, Mike Tomzak is the greatest Steelers quarterback ever. Mike Tomlin is a fraud, however. Whoa, that was kind of a little poem I just wrote there. He's smiling, he's laughing, he doesn't know what I'm saying. All right, get plugged back in. Here's the most disrespectful thing I think you could have said to me, Oh, wait, you didn't even hear what I said after. Some very unsavory things about your mother. Just kidding, I would never. She's a wonderful (laughs) woman. Okay, the Harden case is simply that he's a really good offensive player on a really good team and has been getting himself some buckets out of isolation this year and is putting up 22 and 11 actually would be the assist per game leader if he qualified and is doing it all on pretty good efficiency in the scheme of things 60 percent true shooting and is helping a team really find his stride right now like yeah he hasn't been super consistent it hasn't been great obviously you're not getting good defense out of the guy but I don't know, dude. It's just like everybody's so flawed. He's just so much better. But maybe I should go with Jimmy. I probably should go with Jimmy because even though he's only played 25 games, you're getting typical Jimmy production and efficiency. And the Heat have been fine when he plays. 
I don't know, dude. I hate this last spot. I hate it. Why not? Why are you not considering Drew? That's what I want to know. Well, because Drew's also missed time. He only played 27 games and offensively doesn't compare. And it's like, I'm sorry, I can't look myself in the face and say that he's better than Jimmy Butler or even James Harden this year, I don't think. So all these guys have played in the 20s. Man, I should really just make a decision. I think you should I? go with Julius Randle. Is that really what you think? No, I'm honestly, it sucks because you don't want to go with DeMar either because it's not like he's made. No, I have oh, DeMar. You have DeMar. Oh, you have DeMar here as well. Yeah, I don't have Garland, and I'm considering him, but maybe I should go with Garland. I mean, if I'm going to go with a James Harden, Garland's played more. I don't know. I just wouldn't feel right about myself if I put Harden on my list. Yeah. Dude, I mean, Julius Randle's December was 28-11-4 on 61% true shooting. He really did ball out. I think, he has, I think he leads the NBA in double-doubles, too. Mm, does he really? Or he's, he's very high up in the category. Yeah. All right. Am I going to go with Julius Randle, dude? <laughs> it was a joke. It was a joke. Calm down. <laughs> I'm so thoroughly put off by all these options, frankly. Not only am I not compelled, I'm like, I don't want that guy on my all-star team. So Carson Brewer, 11 All-Stars yeah. out east. You know what, dude? <laughs> Screw it. Maybe I will go with Drew Holiday. I was about to say Garland. Maybe Holiday makes a better game because of defensive impact. Uh, You know what? I'm going with Jimmy Butler. Final answer. He's the best player there. The game's missed gap isn't significant enough. It feels really weird having two All-Stars from the Heat. The Heat... Just have not been that good this year. Jimmy's only played 25 games. What do you want me to say, man? At least the guy puts up 21-6-6 on 62% true shooting. And we know everything he does. He commands the game. He eats up free throws. He's killer for mid-range. He's a hell of a defender. He's a great leader. He's Jimmy Butler. I'll take Jimmy Butler over these other schmucks. And, I mean, this is the worst supporting cast that Miami has had in years. I criticized Miami heavily uh, last season. Um about all the stuff they have around them, it's bad. Uh, Hero post-injury has not looked like himself. Um, Kyle Lowry has once again just been (laughs) mediocre, um, sub-mediocre, man. Kyle Lowry's been like, Struess sucks now. The bench has just deteriorated. The only shining grace in Miami that I I like watching outside of, like, Butler and Adebayo is Victor Oladipo. Um, Again, though, I mean, this is... It's a subpar supporting cast. I get it. I would not have gone with Butler just because they haven't won enough games for me to justify it. Um, wow, man. It really surprises me that you didn't show love to your boy Darius Garland, though. That's the one that, that puzzles me more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on a <laughs> second here. Am I going to do this thing? Am I going to pivot to Darius Garland? I am. I'm going to give it to my guy, Darius Garland. I don't want to have two all-stars from the Heat. All right, that's what it comes down to. Bam has been better than Jimmy. He's played more. He deserves to be there, no doubt. Garland, great playmaker, incredibly skilled scorer. He's on a really good team. Yeah, fine. I'll give it to Garland. I really feel probably less confident 
about this pick than any all-star choice that I can remember. And a couple years ago, we were considering Spencer Dinwiddie. So, like, you know, there's been some rough times out east, but this feels worse. And honestly, dude, I KP and Coos aren't that far away, dare I say. Wait! Mm-hmm. Wait a minute! Why am I talking about those guys when I could go with Bradley Beal? I'm not gonna. Why would you want Beal over KP? better. Um... The good news is, Carson, is we can revise this in three weeks if you're not feeling great about these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If Beal had played more, Beal's only played 24 games too. Darius Garland, for now, punch it in. Honorable mention, Kristaps Porzingis and all the other guys who I said. Sorry that you guys had to listen to me just have an (laughs) internal conflict for 10 minutes there, but it's tough, man. It's tough out east this year. And not in really a great way. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for us here today. As always, hope you've enjoyed and you know where to find us. TikTok is at NerdSesh. Instagram is the same. Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh. You can join our Discord. That's at our link tree, which will be in the bio for our social handles. Follow us on YouTube. We're coming out with some analysis content there. I just made a video, as we mentioned, on DeMontis Sabonis having a really phenomenal season and just sort of the value a great playmaking big can have to an offense. Check that out. Logan is also going to be coming out with content there. And you guys know where to find the podcast because you're listening right now. So appreciate you guys. As always, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.